Thanks, fat mom. In the beginning, before man existed, before the earth existed, before even the very stars in the sky existed, before everything, in the beginning, God existed. The causeless cause. There's, uh, some of you will know, in London at the moment, there's some protests going on. Anyone been in London and, and been disrupted by it or struggled with it? It got, to, it got so bad at one stage, they were on about um, protesting at Heathrow. And there's some big, big issues going on over this. There's some big causes being fought. These people are protesting over climate change. But there's some other causes going on because the, the Meta coming in and they're saying, well, hold on, we want to stop this. We want to stop their right to protest. And so there's some big, big causes going on and there's some big battles going on. But God, God is the causeless cause. Think about that for a moment. In the beginning, God in the beginning, God, these people who were protesting, and it sounds really laudable, and I'm not decreeing it or putting it down or saying it's bad in any way, shape or form. It's not for me to judge them and what they're doing, and I can see the benefits, I can see both sides of the argument in it. But they're protesting for a cause that is outside of themselves. It's a cause external to them. It's climate change predominantly that they're doing. They're not fighting for the right to protest. They're fighting for the right to, to protest about climate change and what's going on. But in the beginning, in the beginning, God existed on his own. He actually had no cause Think about that for a moment. That might sound like a, a strange thing because we talk so much about, about God's love for the poor and, and love for humanity and all of these things. But in the beginning, God had no cause because he had no need. He had no need of anything external to himself. He had no need of anyone else. He had no need of anything else at all. He didn't need climate to sustain him. He didn't need to worry about the environment that he was in or the ozone layer or how much CO2 or being carbon neutral in heaven. That was never an issue for God and it never will be. God cannot die. Do you get that? God cannot die. He is, I was hoping I would get more of a, an amen for that. I was expecting that was going to be like a cheer or a whoop. I mean, the worship team got it all a few minutes ago. Can we try that again, right? Let's, let's, I mean, maybe we need some music. Maybe we should get them back up to back me and I might get a little bit more. Right, God cannot die. Come on. He cannot die. He is immortal. He is eternal. He is all-powerful. He is self-sufficient. He, he has no need of anyone else in the world. He cannot die. 
He is God. He is the cause. He is the cause. He is the cause of all things. He's not fighting for any external cause. He is the cause. He is the creator. Think about this for a moment. Right? In the beginning, God existed on his own. Now actually, it's not quite technically true because he wasn't on his own. Because God was there together with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. Three parts in one. So he was never alone. But when he created the world, when he created all of this, the universe, the stars in the sky, the earth, and me and you, when he created us, there was no one out there telling him, hey God, now you've got to go and create Tony. You've got to go and create Wayne. You've got to go and create Bill. You've got to go and create all these people. And they've got to look like this, and they've got to be this height, and this weight, and and all of this kind of thing. And the earth's got to look like this, and it's got to rotate, and the world's got to have 365 days in it, and all of these things, and seasons, and everything. Who was telling God what to do? Who was telling God how it should be? Who was telling God the way the world should be? What laws was he working to and was he subscribing to? Which book had he studied and read to design this universe? All the atoms. Which physicist told him how to, how to put the atoms together? And the form they should take. And the the protons and the neutrons and the electrons and the combinations. Who told him that? Who gave him all of these ideas? Who said the laws of gravity? Was it Einstein? Was it Sir Isaac Newton? Did he say to God, hey God, I'm going to give you three laws that that this creation you're created. You know, all things must continue in a state of rest or in a state of of, of positive moment until acted on by some external force. Any physicist in here know that one? Force equals mass times acceleration. I'm just showing off now. (laughs) You see, we're searching for a reason why. We're searching for answers. We're looking to others for answers and and all of these things. God looks to no one. God looks to no one. There is no one he can go and look to. Who can counsel God? Yet we do. Yet we do. Actually, you see, in the beginning, now I don't know this for fact, but what I do know is this, that there are occasions in the Bible when God, well, man certainly counseled God and God sought counsel from man because when he created us, when God created us, you and me, he created us in his image. In his image. Creative. Powerful. We have multi-parts, we have a flesh, we have a mind, we have a spirit, we have a body, we have a soul, we have a heart, not just the one that pumps the blood around, but a heart, emotions. When the Bible talks about the heart, it's on about your emotion. Modern scientists would call it your subconscious, your emotional man, the driving force behind you. But God has created us in His image. I don't know if God sought counsel when he created the world. He may have done, but he didn't need to. He didn't need to because he is self-sufficient. 
He is of need of no one. He needs no counsel, no one to answer to. Now that sounds so wrong, doesn't it? God doesn't have to answer to anyone. And in this world of ours, where we see so much corruption and politicians breaking the laws, and is there literally anyone? In fact, if I stood up and, and we said, we're going to run this church and there's going to be no kind of authority, we're going to do what we want, how we want, when we want, and, and we, people would be like, whoa, hold on, that's wrong. You've got to be accountable and you've got to be doing this and you've got to be doing that. And in this world of ours, that makes a lot of sense. Because if I stood up here and said to you, hey, guess what? I'm the perfect leader. Welcome. It's good to meet you. I am the perfect leader. I can tell you how that would go. I'm not saying that, by the way. That would go like this. My wife, if she was here this morning, she's ill this morning, so please pray for her. Hopefully she's going to make it back. But she, she would be the first to jump up and go, you're having a laugh, aren't you? <laughs> what? Perfect. Come on, I live with you. My mum would start giving you stories of me growing up. These lot on the front row would start telling you all the things I get wrong and all the things I do wrong. And probably many of you in here would be pointing out all the mistakes I've made and everything I've done wrong. So in this world... (laughs) Not so loud, Jeff. I'm the one with the mic, mate. Come on, come on. I'm going to get to you later, mate. I'm going to get to you later. And I am as well. He does feature in this message this morning. (laughs) It would be wrong. It sounds wrong. It feels wrong. The idea of someone being above reproach, above accountability, above being questioned. But this is God. He is God. God is God. God is God. He's not a man. He's not a person like us. He's not fallible. He is perfect. And it says of him, he is good. He is good. Bit louder. Come on. God is good. Come on. He is good. We have faults but not him. There is only one, in fact, there is only one person that God is accountable to. He is accountable, but it is only one person that he is ever accountable to. And this is really, really important, because if he wasn't accountable to this person, this would be the time to worry. This would be the time to be concerned about God, and, and then to start getting nervous, and maybe calling in the police, or someone to discipline him, or tell him off. God is accountable to himself, himself and only himself. It is said of man, it is said of great men that any great man or woman, when I say man, forgive me ladies, I mean woman as well, is that okay? Uh, you know, I've got daughters and a wife and I, I love them, and, and, but man means man and woman and we, in that, this context. But it is said of God, Sorry, it was said of great men and women, let's say that. It is said of great women and great men that they have took time to discover who they are. Who they are. What they are. What the purpose is. What the calling is. In fact, I've preached this kind of stuff and, and talked about it. And I would encourage you to do it. Seek time. Pray. Ask God who you are, what your calling is, your destiny, all of these things. But don't just do that. Tell God what you want, your desires. Don't forget God has made you in his image. We're not just here to be s- s- passive. 
Just sat here like, okay, God, it, just, it all sounds great. God. Anything you say, God, I'll just go and do it. And God's like, right, no, I've given you the power. I want you to talk. This is a conversation. This is a relationship. Relationship. But it is said of any great woman or any great man that they know themselves because then you can be accountable to yourself, to your own conscience, the one that God gave you, the God-given conscience. So if God isn't accountable to himself, but he is, but he is, he doesn't change his mind, he is consistent He knows who he is. He knows his plans. He knows his purposes, not just for heaven and for himself, but for us, it says in the word. It says he knows the plans he has for you, plans for good and not for evil, plans to give you a future and a hope. God is accountable to himself. There is no one else. No one, no law told God how he had to create the earth or man or the stars or anything. He chose. We were his imagination. We were in his mind. He formed you in your mother's womb. But even before that point, he had you in his mind. He knew. He knew you. He knew you. And how you were going to be. And what you were going to be like. He knew this universe and how it was going to be. It is incredible, isn't it? Not only that, no one told him. There was no one there saying, God, you must create a, a, a creation. God could have just stayed in heaven. He could have just created angels and an angelic host to be around him, to wait on him, to do whatever. He could have created anything like that. He could have created anything he wanted anything he chose apart from he had to be true to himself and being true to himself he created all of this he chose this this creation he chose you he chose you he chose you he created you you were in his mind every single one of us i was in his mind he chose me he chose me he didn't have to god wasn't there with someone forcing him to well you've made wayne so you better make barry now you can't just make one and not the other i've got twin boys who are 15 god wasn't like well i've made adam i'm gonna have to make joshua as well because i'll get told off if i don't do you know both of them If we just create one and not the other, well, can you imagine, can you imagine the fuss and what's going to be said of me if I just created one of them? No, God chose you. Male and female, he chose us. He created us. No mistakes, no accidents, choices. Choices. God's choices for us. His great love for us. His great desire for us. But he didn't make us his judge. He didn't make us his master. Nowhere are we to judge God in a sense of pointing fingers at him, that he's made mistakes, that he's got it wrong, that he should have done this, you should have done that, you should have done the other. Yes, judge God in the sense of question him, ask him, find out about him. In fact, even test him, taste of him. Bible says, taste 
and see that the Lord is good. Taste of him. Try him out. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? It just, that, that kind of sounds wrong to me to say that. But taste of God and see what he's like. See who he is. See how he, how he responds and how he acts around you and, and what he's like around you and who you are to him. And in this creation that he made, there were three things. And the first one was that at the end of it, when he created it, you all know the story in Genesis, but at the end of it, the first thing he said at the end of it when he'd done it all is, it is good. It is good. And that Hebrew word for good meant perfection. Good, when you think good, like we, you get good on your exam, you're thinking, oh, I wish it had got excellent. I wish it had got like, you know, oh, wow, a, 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 a distinction or, you know, you got good on your exam, that would be a bit like, oh, yeah, all right, thanks for that. I was hoping for better, but all right, it'll do. At least I didn't get bad or terrible or no, this was awful. But no, 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 when God says good, right, this is good from God's point of view. So think about this, right? God, who is perfect, when he does something and he says, that's good, that's good. You better believe it's good. You better believe it's perfect. You better believe it's just how he wanted it to be. So it was good. But the second thing was, he made a rule. Because he gave us free will. So there was a rule, there was only really one rule in there that I can find, and that was this tree in the middle, and he said, don't eat of it. You remember that bit? There was a bit of an apple in there, apparently, which actually says fruit, but you know what I'm on about? Metaphor could be an apple. So there was, it was good, and then there was one rule in there, don't touch that. And then the third thing was that it was love, and it was truth. Love and truth. It was made out of love. Creation was made out of love. If you, anyone, in create, anyone creative in here ever, ever made something? We all must have had times, you know, some of you might say, well, I'm not very creative, but you must have had occasions where you've maybe cooked a meal even, or you've made something, or maybe you've knitted something, or maybe you've built something with your hands, or maybe you've done something, a, a piece of work, or a song, or whatever it is, whatever it is, whether it's great to anyone else or not, and you've just gone, Oh, you know, I'm really pleased with that. I'm really, really pleased with that. And you, you kind of love it, don't you? That's God's heart when he'd finished creation. That, that pride, maybe not the right word, but that kind of great love when he looked out on all of us and went, wow, wow, I love him. I love it. I love what I've made. It's It's beautiful. And truth. You know, I, I remember going to college and there was a lad in college and he, there's no nice way of putting this, right? He was a liar. It, it, it got so bad. He would come in each day and his stories got so tall and so ridiculous. Uh, you know, like stories of like, you know, um, well, I got jumped last night and there was eight guys and I beat them all up and all of this kind of stuff. And he just got worse and worse and worse. And it was, there's, there's, again, there's no nice way of putting it other than it was pathetic. 
Now that sounds kind of harsh, but I mean pathetic in a sad way. So sad that someone's got to make up stories to go and to tell someone, to, just to make up, just, it, it, was, it could not have been true. All of the things that happened to this guy every single day, they could not have happened to, I mean, if they had, I mean, wow. I mean, this, this, this guy was some kind of superhero. He was just the most incredible, but he clearly wasn't. He clearly wasn't. He just lied. He just lied. And you know, if you think about it, when we, we've all lied at times, haven't we? We've all told lies. But when you lie, it's because you're weak. If you've got power, you don't need to lie. Why, why do you need to lie? If you're all powerful, why would you need to lie about anything? God doesn't lie. There's no lie within him. This is his creation his world, his universe, he made it, he has all the power. In this universe, the only universe, he has all the power. Eternal to eternal. No beginning. No one created God. He's the creator. He doesn't need to lie. He is perfect. Love, truth, and holiness are the three major characteristics of God. He loves us. He is truthful and honest. Says, I am not a man that I would lie. And holiness, I'm not a man. He's not a man. He's God. Self-sufficient, all-powerful. He is the cause. He is the Almighty. All that power, all that greatness, and then sin. Rebellion. Satan came and tempted Adam and Eve. You know the story. Came in and tempted them. And again, some people might want to, well, okay, God created Satan. I want to tell you this. God may have created Satan, but God is not responsible for Satan's actions. God ain't responsible for Satan's actions, or yours, or mine. God is not responsible. We are responsible. We are responsible. Satan was responsible for what he did. God gave us free will. Free will. He didn't create robots. He created us in his image. Tell him I'm out. I'll, I'll get back to them later. <laughs> Otherwise, if you think about it, right? <laughs> I've written this down. He wouldn't have had to give the rule about not eating from the tree, would he? If he hadn't give free will. Why give the rule if there wasn't free, otherwise it'd have been like, hey, now don't eat from, oh, hold on, no, sorry, what am I saying? You can't, can you? Because I've made you so you can't. No, he gave us free will. It's powerful. He gave us free will. A choice in his image. A man turned. And like it says in the word, it, that one sin I watched, a, it was interesting, I don't know, I, I quite like documentaries, it's my 
kind of guilty pleasure. Uh, documentary channels on Sky, I love them. I can't get enough of them. I quite like them. And I saw one. I don't know why I watched it, because I'm not particularly into this topic, but I watched it. It was all about a brewery and how they brewed. All right, so it was interesting. And the, the, the interesting bit, this was the biggest brewery in the UK. And they went into this chemistry lab they had at the heart of this brewery. Okay, and they were talking, they started talking about the yeast. They'd gone through all the kind of process to this point, and then it was the bit where they add the yeast. And then they went into this lab, and it looked like a lab. There was plenty of white coats and bits of glass, and you know, like that steam and dry ice and all of that kind of stuff. And then they pulled this thing out, and, and, and I think they might have even had these gloves. They were taking you know, like your extreme precautions over it. And this was the yeast that they make. Like, this is the biggest brewery in Britain. They're making, like, billions of gallons, billions of pints of, of beer, lager, every single year, okay? And they get this yeast out that it, is all, that it all comes from, and it's tiny. It's like, it's tiny. It's in a test tube. And even the guy who's doing the thing, he's saying, what, that's enough? for all of that and they're like yeah because yeast multiplies you only need a little bit you just get a tiny little bit and then that just grows and grows and grows and that's enough and and we just keep going back to that and getting more off that and that's how it works and like this was really valuable this yeast because I think every as I understand it every yeast is different and different brewers will have different yeast and they'll have kind of got it just right the one that they want and so this tiny little bit of yeast could make billions of, of pints of lager. One tiny little bit of sin was enough to corrupt billions of human beings. One small sin. Doesn't it say in the word, uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 6, don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads throughout the whole batch of dough. Sin, rebellion is what it is. Doing wrong, deciding that I don't want to do what you say, God. I don't want to submit to your authority. I don't want to recognize your authority. I don't want you to be the one who says what's right and wrong. I want to choose myself. Rebellion. I want to choose that, no, I can eat that. I can have that if I want to. That one little bit was enough to corrupt billions and billions of people. Phenomenal, isn't it? Absolutely phenomenal. So what does God himself say about all of this? What is it? Well, the world is crying out for justice. The world wants justice. Some of you know I'm a, I'm a Liverpool fan and it's 30 years this week since Hillsborough happened. The, the, the most it, it, that I've seen, I suppose, from, from my point of view, one of the worst things I've ever seen uh, our government do when the report came out about five or six years ago about the corruption that had gone on. It's not just Hillsborough, it's happened with loads of other things. But, but police, chief constables, taking hundreds of police reports and doctoring them, changing them, sworn affidavits from policemen, from uh, ambulance drivers, changing them, 
pointing out false news to cover something up, lying. If we did that, we'd be arrested, wouldn't we, and thrown in prison for perverting the course of justice. And I'm not on a rant, by the way. I'm not on a rant. This is not me kind of, hey, you know, some kind of bitter Liverpool fan who wants this. No, that's not what's going on here. But justice was what those families were crying out for. And I always thought that was powerful because the, the cry wasn't revenge. It was justice. It was justice. And it says in Romans 1, 18 to 20, listen to this. It says, but God shows his anger. When God gets angry, you better listen. When God gets angry, you better listen. It says, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. Forever since the world was created, from the beginning of creation, not of God, but of creation, from the beginning of creation, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature. That's holiness. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Sounds harsh, doesn't it? And it is. It is. This is God. This ain't me. This is, this is what God says. It's in the Bible. Hopefully we're getting these scriptures up there. That's right, isn't it? Romans 2, 1 to 4, God says this. He's saying it through the Apostle Paul, but this is God saying it. He says, you may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad. In other words, all of us. You have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself for you who judge others do these very same things. Oops, doesn't quite sound so harsh now. It sounds actually harsher. But at least we're all in the same boat, eh? And we know that God, in his justice, justice will punish anyone who does such things. There's a, the times are changing. There was a guy, and I don't agree with how he put it. Let me just say this. I don't agree with how he put it or what he put, but he spoke out about, and, he, and whatever he said, he said about, about there being punishment and hell, and now he's lost his job over it. Times are changing. Can you, can you, can you see it? Yeah, and, and it's changing faster. It's, it's getting quicker and faster. Times are changing. If you're a Christian in this place and you really believe the word, I would suggest it's time to, that we get serious. I, I would suggest as a church, right, I'm speaking to the church. Now, I'm not excluding, if you would say, well, I'm not really part of this church. I've come to have been invited or whatever. Please don't feel left out from this, all right, because I'm speaking to you as well. But I want to speak to you maybe a little bit in, in a bit about something else. But I would say, if you would say you're a Christian in this place, you're a part of this church, I would say we've got to get serious. I mean, I think, I'm thinking of our kids. 
I'm thinking, imagine the next generation and the following generation. I'm I'm 45, right? So I'm I'm just 45. I'm quite young. (laughs) Come on. Anyone? Hey, listen, I want to be pastor in a church where I'm the oldest. That sounds great to me. (laughs) No, that's uh, 45. uh, This should be a good spread either way. And I think we do have that, don't we? But in, what, 20 years, 30, in my lifetime, how it's changed, it astounds me. And, and it's just going to change faster, and it's getting faster. In the last 10 years, it's changed faster than in the last 20 years. And in the last 20 years, it's changed faster than in the last 40 years. And in the next 10 years, it'll change faster than in the last 20. And it's going to keep going on like that, folks, I, I, I believe. But listen, we know that God in his justice will punish, punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, how often do we judge? Hey? I, I had someone send a text to my daughter saying they were perfect. <laughs> Their family's sinless. I'm like, what? <laughs> wow, we need to get this guy in to speak. I've never met anyone who's sinless of you. I'm like, wow, that is incredible. Unbelievable. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? His patience, his kindness, his love. We are all in the same boat. Romans 2, 5 to 8, he says this, but because you're stubborn and refuse to turn from your, st- your sin, you're storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. That's in the Bible. That's not me saying that. It's not me on a soapbox I mean, are these scriptures I kind of quote week in, week out? Those of you who come regularly, are we constantly quoting this kind of stuff? No, we're not going on about this, are we? But we do mention it. We don't not mention it. We don't ignore this stuff. We don't ignore this. It's just that there's more. That's not the full stop. That's not the end. The good news is there's more. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honour and immortality that God offers. Hey, didn't we just say that God is immortal and will live forever? Isn't this saying that those who follow him will also be immortal? Anyone fancy immortality? Come on. We don't have to die. We can live forever. We can live forever. That fear you first had as a child when you suddenly realised, I'm going to die one day. I'm going to die. What on earth does that mean? What's that going to look like? I don't want to die. Guess what? You don't have to. You don't have to die. You can live forever. 
but he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. Come on, is there anyone in here who's not had someone who's offended them, who's done something? Some, some of you may have had something so terrible that's happened to someone or to yourself that you, you've maybe had a moment where you've wanted that person to face the, the ultimate wrath for what they've done because it was so terrible. Some people have had some awful, awful things done to them by others and have rightly wanted punishment for that person, retribution, justice. So we understand. How can we judge God? We understand. Created in His image. But that's not the end. But that's not the end. Romans 3, 21 to 22, some of my favorite verses. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. Think about this for a moment. Who can keep the requirements of the law? Who can live the rest of their lives without putting a foot wrong? Perfection. Never making a mistake. Is there anyone in here that can do that? I want to meet you and shake your hand because I don't believe that person exists. There was only one. There was only one. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Christ Jesus Today is Easter Sunday, the day he rose again from the grave. If there was no resurrection, there is no Christianity. Without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. Without the resurrection, we don't live forever. When it says putting our faith and trust in him, It's in the cross where he died on Good Friday to take the shame and the punishment for all of our sins because we couldn't do it ourselves. And God knows man had tried. But then on Easter Sunday, after descending to hell, after fighting Satan and taking the keys back off him, he took back all of the booty, all of the stuff that Satan had stolen, all of it, he took it back. He ravaged hell. He won the victory and he took the keys and then he rose again. He rose again. He rose and he ascended. He ascended. But before he did, he showed himself. For 40 days, he showed himself. And now he sits at the right hand of God. Victorious. Resurrected. Victory won. It is finished. 
And you know, perhaps the greatest fight that we fight is the fight against works. Do you realize you cannot earn your way into heaven? Do we fully understand that? Do we get that completely? When was the last time you tried to earn your way? You tried to impress God or do it right or kind of, hey, I've got to do this to be right with God. I've got to do that to be right with God. Bible says mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy Mercy. And after mercy, or with mercy even, grace. Grace, the conduit for that mercy, undeserved, unearned, the free gift, free to all, that we may enter in. Paul says to end it, in fact, let me tell you, let me give you some Quick examples. Great friend of mine, Mark Stevens. He was famous. He was, he was a neighbours even. Had a, a great music career and, 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 and earned lots of money. Had fame. He was on lots of different television shows and stuff like that. Ended up living in a, a, a drug house in London. Smacked up to the eyeballs on heroin. In a mess. In a mess. Rod Williams, another good friend of mine, he's in Bradford at the moment, working for Christians Against Poverty. He was a drug smuggler. Came from um, Jersey, or Guernsey actually Rod came from, not Jersey, Guernsey. And started selling a little bit of drugs just to make money. Eventually he was importing it and got caught going through customs and served time for drug smuggling drugs. Another great friend of mine, Joe Emanuel. A thief. So I went, went on a mission with him to Romania and sat there listening to his testimony and, and, and how apparently on one occasion he went out to the shops and came back years later because he was arrested and put in prison. His wife visiting him, battling for him, battling for him to stop this life of crime that he was living. Jeff Letts, Another friend of mine, he a multi-millionaire now, found himself destitute, found himself in a mess, eating out of bins in Chicago as an orphan, as a teenager, with nothing because of the sins of his parents. Nothing at all, not a thing. Another friend said we'd get to him, Jeff Mullen. Organised violence, Jeff put it, I wrote down, Football hooligan, Jeff corrected me. Organised violence, I thought, Jeff, that's a better phrase. That sounds so much better. <laughs> Literally, he, he, telling me about a time this morning, I mean, he told me plenty of other stuff about going, uh, they went to, there was a Leeds game with United and it got cancelled. They still met up to go and fight. Organised violence. Another friend of mine, Paul Duckworth, Great scouse friend. Smuggler, not drugs this time. He was smuggling stuff back into, into Levi's jeans into Russia. 
back in the day when the Iron Curtain was up because he couldn't get hold of it, making a fortune out of it and plenty of other stuff as well. And finally me. I, 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 don't, I don't really want to say all the things I've done. But as bad, and one in particular worse than any of those, I was a murderer. I was a murderer. I've got blood on my hands of at least two people. Yet all of us, all of us and more, have found grace and mercy at the cross. Unearned, undeserved. But now, the lives that we're living, and so many of you, so many up here, the lives we are living, transformed from glory to glory, from success to success, grace and mercy and favour, favour of God on our lives, the hand of God on our lives, blessing us, telling us we cannot fail. We cannot fail. How amazing is that? Come on, guys. Give me a song. Have we got a song? Yeah. This is the bit when you start ramping it up and the drums start getting louder and it gets faster and you start getting into the song and stuff like that. Somebody stop me. Come on. <laughs> Somebody stop me. <laughs> If you've been saved, if your life has been transformed, if you're one of those ones, maybe your testimony doesn't sound as glamorous as those. That's okay. It's not about how great your sin is. The goal isn't to be the greatest sinner. <laughs> the goal is to be the closest one to God, to know Him the best. And do you know how you do that first and foremost? Accept his gift. His gift of eternal life. And praise and worship him now. Let's thank him for Easter. Let's thank him for the victory that he won. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Come on. <laughs>